Amen. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing well. Um, excited to be here with you this morning. Um, as we were worshiping during the nine o'clock, and I want to share this with you guys too. Um, I, I was encouraged as we sang the song Living Hope. I think that's the name of it. Isn't that right, Jay? I'm not real good with music, even remembering the names of the songs, but um, Living Hope. And um, can, is it, can we put the words up on the screen, sort of the, the, the chorus part of that, where it talks about the um, silence and uh, the roaring lion and all of that. Can, is that doable or is... Ah, out of the silence, the roaring lion. When we were singing that this morning at nine and we got to this part where uh, about the silence, um, but then the roaring lion, the next verse of that um, declared the grave has no claim on me. And we sang that the, the roaring lion out of this, out of the silence, this roaring lion. The thing that I felt in my heart was that, you know, the church in many ways has been silent for a long time, other than maybe coming out every now and then and telling people what we're against, um, we've been really silent for a long time. And what I felt like that the Lord was really putting in my heart is that out of the silence, the roaring lion is about to, to make his voice heard. That, that out of the silence, there's gonna be a cry of the church that goes to God and, and we see God move in an incredible way that we look around us right now in the chaos and the confusion and, and all of this stuff that's going on around us. But the thing that I believe is that out of all the chaos and all the confusion and all of the darkness, the, the, the roaring lion is going to declare victory. And the way that that's going to happen is through his church. And we've been in this series called New Wine. And, and what I really picture in my mind is, is what's going on right now is that there is this, this um, renewal of the church that's taking place. And it's hard to see it. It's hard to see it, but I believe this, that there's this renewal of the church that's taking place, almost like this stony old shell is breaking off and the church, the renewed church is going to emerge and today, what we're going to talk about is a big part of what has to take place if the church is going to emerge um, as the bride of Christ, the, the, the bride, the, the church, that the body of Christ that gives this picture of God to the world. And so we're going to be in John chapter 17 to begin this morning. If you want to go ahead, turn there in your Bible. Um, John chapter 17. I want to set this up a little bit for you so you kind of know a little bit more of what we're reading. Um, John chapter 17 is the longest prayer that we have of Jesus. The longest prayer. So um, if you really wanted to say, um, talk about the Lord's prayer, this is the Lord's prayer, right? Like literally the prayer he prayed. We look at what we call the Lord's prayer. In many ways, it's a model of prayer. These are the words of Jesus that he prayed right before he was arrested. If you go to um, John chapter 13 and, and a little bit of 12 too, but John 
uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, you begin to hear some of Jesus's last words to his disciples before he's arrested and before he goes um, to trial and ultimately is sentenced to be crucified. Um, but, But in this, you begin to see where this is sort of his farewell discourse is what people would call it. These, these last words, these things that he's saying to the disciples. And if you go and you really begin to look at this, a lot of what he tells them is the necessity of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He tells them, um, this is going to be crucial for you. himself and what God's going to do through him. He, he prays, um, God, you know, I have accomplished what you sent me here to accomplish. Now glorify your son with the glory that I had from the beginning. And then he begins to pray for the disciples that are currently with him. He begins to pray and say, Lord, um, make them one as we are one, make, unify them, God. But then we get to John 17, 20, which we're about to read. And he begins to pray, not for those that are with him then, but for those who would come to faith in him later. And so let's read this. I want to point out a few things to you. Then we're going to pray. We'll jump in. It says in John 17, 20, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples that he currently had around him and with him. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's he talking about? Us, yes, us, us. He's talking about us. Those who would come to believe through their message. What message? The message that was given to us through those apostles of Christ. Those who would walk with him when he was on earth, who saw him resurrected, who gave us the scriptures. That we believe from their message that all of them may be what? One. One. Say it again. So that all of them may be one, be one together, unified people. Now, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus is praying this. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Now, I want you to not read over that because this is huge. This is an incredibly high standard. I want you to see this, that that God is, that that Jesus is praying, God, the Father, my prayer is that just as much as you and I are one, that they would be one. Is that not incredible? 
to think about that, that God exists in the Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect unity, in perfect relationship. And Jesus says, but, but Father, I pray that as much as you and I are one, that they would be one. That's an incredibly high standard. That's why I'm telling you, if you don't drop back and see what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in 14, 16, about abiding, about our necessity of loving people, that people will know us um, by our love um, and know we're his disciples by our love. If we don't pick up on that, it takes his power to accomplish this, this standard is too high for us to accomplish. We can't do this on our own. But he says that, in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Here's another really important thing. May they be in us, may they be one in us. Why does he say this is important? So that the world may what? Come on. Believe, that they may believe, that they may believe that you sent me that they may see the oneness of the church and they may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete what? It's not on screen. Unity. To complete unity. And listen to what he says. Then, when they are brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and the truth of it, God. I thank you for the power of your spirit. I thank you, God, that you give us the ability to live out everything you've called us to, God. You don't call us to anything that you don't give us the ability to do. Even when these things are impossible in our strength and our ability, God, you, through the power of your spirit, through the authority of your son, have given us the ability by faith to overcome this world. And God, I pray today we would gain a little more clarity of that, that our hearts would be a little more stirred for that, God, to do what you have put us here to do, to be God who you have created us to be, who you've recreated us to be in Christ. So God, we thank you for that. Would you move in our hearts, Lord? I want you to take a second. I just want you to take a second. I want you to realize something that God is here right now, right now. Right now, there are two or more gathered. God is here right now. God, I don't believe the issue is that you don't show up. I believe the issue is that we don't realize you do show up. Would you give us a greater sensitivity to your presence? Even in awe, even a, a trembling. That God, we are in the presence of an almighty, 
perfect, holy God. And apart from your mercy and grace in Jesus, Lord, we would be like Isaiah when he saw your glory and he said, I am undone. Literally, I am coming apart, Lord. We couldn't stand in your presence yet because of Jesus. Lord, we can come boldly before your throne of grace, not in our own merit, but because of the righteousness we've been given by belief and by trust in your son, God. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, when I was praying through this, this is something really that God put on my heart yesterday. I shared it a little bit last night. We had several churches that got together. We did kind of a parking lot prayer and worship time. Uh, there were four or five different churches that came together um, and we just prayed and worshiped. It was a really, really good time. And I knew um, I'd been asked to share a little bit uh, about prayer and all. And this is what the Lord had put on my heart. I felt like it was something that we needed to all hear and, and, and uh, be mindful of and praying for. Uh, through this. But as I began to think about this and pray about this, um, it reminded me of a time when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Um, I was really, really close to my granddaddy, uh, especially on my, my dad's side. My, um, my grandfather on my mother's side passed away when I was pretty young. Uh, still knew him, loved him, but uh, my granddaddy on my dad's side uh, just had more time. Um, actually lived with them. My mom and I did when my dad moved down here and he was being transferred to Statesboro um, and just a lot of time together, a lot of fishing, a lot of all kinds of stuff that we did together, just very, very close. Well, when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my granddaddy was going in for his second open heart surgery. Now, I know it's hard for you to believe that I would have been 10 or 11 years old in 1985 or so, but I was. Um, you probably think that I'm actually much older than that. But um, when we, we look at this, this wasn't times like today where it seems like people go in for open heart surgery and, and still serious, but it's almost like having your tonsils out or something. You know, it's like, yeah, we're going to go in, we're going to place the whole heart and valves and everything else. Basically, everything will be new and you'll be home in 48 hours because, you know, insurance don't want you to stay too long. And so anyway, um, it, it wasn't like that. And so with the open, second open heart surgery, especially, this was a big deal. And I kind of overheard conversation that I don't think I was supposed to hear. And, and what I heard was that the doctors had given him less than like a 30% chance of making it through the surgery. Um, and, and so as as I hear this, I'm like, I'm freaking out, man. And so I, I can remember being so uptight and just my stomach was in knots. And, and I remember um, when he was in the hospital room and they came to get him to take him to surgery. And we walked out into the hallway kind of as he was coming by to be able to tell him, you know, we'll see you, hopefully see you in a little bit kind of thing. And, and my granddaddy was um, just from that generation, you know, he was uh, World War II vet, just tough as nails, um, was only five foot eight, but probably, you know, kind of thought he was 10 foot tall, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and he comes out in the hospital bed, going in, knowing he only has maybe a 30% chance of coming out of the operation. And I remember, I never forget it as long as I live, one of the coolest moments of my life. Um, he reaches out and grabs my arm so that they like literally have to stop the bed. And so they stop and he looks at me and he had this real kind of gruff sort of voice and he goes, I'll see you in a little bit. 
And I was like, that is so cool. <laughs> I was like, and he did, right? He's like, I'll see you in a little bit. And then he did. And so it was just him. I had no, I had like a couple of tears coming down my face. He could see the worry. He could see that I was troubled. He could see all of this, but he just reaches out and grabs me and says, I'll see you in a little bit. And a little bit later, they come wheeling him in and he lived, gosh, a long, long time after that, even after the second open heart surgery. And so um, it made me think about though, what Jesus tells the disciples in John 14 and 16, he tells them, he says, look, I'm going away, but I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. And he tells them, I'm gonna send another one. It's not gonna be me, but it's gonna be just like me. And so he's trying to assure them their hearts are troubled. We know this, read John 14. We know that their hearts are troubled. He tells them, listen, but I'm gonna give you these words. I'm gonna tell you these things so that you may have peace. And he's wanting them to see this. I'm not gonna leave you orphaned. I'm not gonna forsake you. And then we know too that Jesus himself has promised that he will return. And it's so important for us to see this. And in John 16, when Jesus says, it's good for you that I go away. The reason it was good for us that he goes away is because as incredible as it would be to have Jesus walking beside us, when he sent back the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him, it is even more powerful and effective for the body of Christ that he's not just walking beside us, but he's living in us. And if we're going to achieve these 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 um, high standards, so to speak, that God's called us to. If we're going to achieve uh, looking like the body of Christ that God's called us to, we will not do it in our own ability. We will not do it in our own strength. If we're going to be one in such a way that the world takes notice of our oneness, of our unity, and it speaks to them about the eternal God, that can't happen in our own abilities. It can't happen in our own strength. But when we look at John 17, we see this very clearly. This is God's desire that the church would be one, not splintered and divided, but one. That the church and, and that the fellowships, the different fellowships, I don't even like to say um, different churches because there's only one church. We can call it what we want to, but there's only one church and we're either in it or we're not. The different fellowships, not even that the different fellowships, but, but we would even just like each other. God's design is that there would be one church, one body, one, 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 one. And but we look around and it's so splintered. I don't know how many of you were here, how many of you saw it. Um, the day I talked about this, you know, anybody remember this? I brought this out one day. All right. And, and what we talked about with this is, you know, if if I were to go with my, my sons and we were to start a business making hammers and I went in and I said, look guys, the design for this hammer is that for the head of the hammer to be on top of the handle because that's the most effective, efficient way. This is how I've designed it. This is how it will work the best. This is what it should look like. If we're really going to be successful in producing effective hammers, this is the way it should look. And then let's say I go away for a while and I leave them with the design, but I come back and this is the hammer that they're making. A hammer that has the head of the hammer almost in the middle held on with a zip tie. How many of you have ever done construction work? How many of you wanna work with this all day? Frustrating, right? Not effective, not efficient. You go through a lot of zip ties. And so, so we look at this and, and when I come back and I see this, 
I'm not going to be happy with it. I'm not going to say, bless you guys. You did so good, man. Oh my gosh. Come here. Give daddy a hug. I'll be like, what did you do? You completely went against everything I told you and I showed you. You didn't do what I asked you to do. This is not my design. But this is what I see in the church today, guys. And we've kind of taken God's design and what he tells us about the church and who the church should be and what we should really strive for and what we should be about. And we set it aside for our own preferences and what we think works. But this is it. The reality of it is to us, we think we're doing things in a way that is glorifying to God and it it, it fulfills his purpose and his mission. But this is what we look like to the world. We're splintered in factions and separated by denominations and non-denominations and interdenominations and races and um, ethnicities. And we're separated uh, by socioeconomics and, and we don't want to be around people that don't agree with us. And, and so we name our churches things that point people to the fact that this is what we believe. If you don't believe it, just understand what you're coming into when you come into it. And so we, we, we have these these divisions, these divides. And when we look at the church today, it is nothing like what Jesus was even praying for. Go now to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, verse nine. Jesus is talking about prayer. This is uh, Matthew six falls right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really challenging a lot of their ways of thinking, a lot of their worldview, a lot of inaccurate ways they've believed. And he's really challenging them. One of the ways he challenges them in this is in prayer. He tells them, don't pray like hypocrites who they just want to be seen. They want to be heard. He says, don't pray like pagans. They just keep saying a bunch of words thinking that God's going to do what they want them to do or their gods are going to do what they want them to do just because they keep on babbling like idiots. He says, listen, when you you pray, this is how you should pray and pick it up in verse nine. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's basically saying, look, you need to first of all, realize who you're praying to. A holy, righteous God, whose name is above every name. His name is higher than every name. But then listen to this in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So even as Jesus is teaching us to pray, he focuses our attention not on me doing my will, but on God's will being done here on earth. But I wonder how much do we as churches or as fellowships, as as gathering people, really consider what does God want to do more than we plan according to what we want to do or what we think is best? Because here's the danger in that. If we want to grow the church, the body of Christ, by being attractive to the world around us, by getting them to come into the building, to hear a specialist talk about the gospel, then I want you to see this. If I'm, my, my, my thought is we're gonna be attractive to get them in the doors. We're gonna be attractive to get them in the doors. Then who am I thinking about? Who am I trying to please? 
not God. I need to do this so that they will come. We can make a bigger splash so that people will come into the building. But I don't even see God really wanting us to focus on getting people inside the building. I think he wants us to get people inside the kingdom so that they can go do kingdom work. But we have lost sight of, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've decided that we will build our kingdoms according to our will, according to what we desire to see our kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we've thrown things out and we've neglected things that are so essential and so important, like unity in the body and not unity with white people that think, you know, like you think or look like you look or live in the neighborhood you live in, not unity with black people who think like you think or, or brown people who think like you think, but all people. Jesus didn't say, I, I pray, oh Father, that all the white people would get together and sing their songs. I pray, oh Father, that all the black people would get together and sing their songs. I pray that all the Hispanic people would get together and sing their songs. I pray that all the, 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 the Ghanans would get together and sing their songs. I pray that all the Zimbabwe people would get together and sing their songs. I pray, no, he said, I pray that they would be one, all of them. There was no, I pray that this group is, is, is together. I pray that this group's together. It was, it was to be one. Go to 1 Peter chapter two. 1 Peter chapter two. Peter writing to believers. He writes this in chapter two, verse one. He says, therefore, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, when he's saying this, he's saying, look, get rid of these sins. But I really want you to see that these particular sins that he lists here are hindrances to relationship between people. So he's telling you, you need to get rid of these things that are separating you from one another. You need to get rid of these things. And he says, Rather than living in those things, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And now verse three right there, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, this is huge because this is the key to the whole thing. If you haven't tasted that the Lord is good, you're not gonna give a rip about his design and his will and, and his um, kingdom coming to earth. We can't, we can't expect people who've never tasted that the Lord is good to care about what God cares about. But if we've tasted what the Lord is good, then he says, throw out everything that separates, embrace what will help you grow up into salvation so that there's a, a, a healthy relationship between you and I and you and everyone else. And he says, and grow up. If there's one thing that needs to happen in the church, one thing is we need to quit kind of playing church. Like this is just something we do, you know, and, and kind of going about it. We need to realize that this is what's important. Like being the church, that it matters. The second thing is we need to grow up. 
So much of what we see, the fighting over insignificant things, the fighting over things that are not heaven or hell issue, all of these things, guys, the, 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 the separation of color and all of this other stuff that's taking place around us. We need to grow up and move on from these things. Not everything's gonna be the way you like it and the way it ought to be, but my goodness, we've got 130 churches in Bullock County, so surely there's one that I can find that I can agree with 100% you're not gonna find it, but our logic tells us there's gotta be one out there that kind of fits me. It ain't about us. Not about you, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about God's kingdom, it's about unity in the body, it's about the body coming together. When we got together on Friday and then last night to do the prayer in the parking lot, um, and then there was a 24 hour prayer time that went on between Friday and Saturday evening. And, and we got together, man, it was so incredible because there was people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of churches, and we come together and we worship and pray. But, but the honest truth is like, I didn't know some of the songs. The honest truth is like, I, some of them, I had a hard time singing. I never heard them, but it was still incredible. And, and here's the thing that I reminded myself of. We're not singing to me. We're not singing to me. We're singing to him. And I think the greatest thing that blessed God was not our voices, because surely I can't sing. But what I believe blessed God is that he saw what he wanted. People of different races and backgrounds and denominations and, and walks of life coming together as one to praise his name. Peter goes on and he says, as you come to him, the living stone, meaning Jesus, the living stone. He goes on later and talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. This cornerstone would be the first stone that was set in the building because it would um, give it strength, but it would also give it integrity. It would determine if it's square, it would determine all of those things. It worked off of the cornerstone. So he's saying, Jesus is the living stone, this living cornerstone. He says he was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. And he says, you also, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he says, look, Jesus isn't the only living stone because you're in him. You too have become a living stone. You are a stone that's being built together into the spiritual house. You're being built together. Um, and, and, and it made me start thinking about, I know my, my kids went through stages where they were playing with Legos and stuff like that. And I started thinking about how you build Legos together. And I kind of had this image of all these stones, these living stones, these people who are uh, believers, followers of Jesus, these people all around the world who are called by the name of Christ, who are living stones, living stones. And I had this picture of bringing all of them together, kind of like Legos and, and beginning to see that built together into this one spiritual house that rises up and brings glory to God, that causes the world to take notice and to see, wow, there is something truly divine about these people. There is something truly supernatural that's taken place in their hearts because there's no way that these people from every nation and tribe and tongue are able to come together and love one another with all of their differences if God didn't do something in their heart. And so we, 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 this is our call. This is what we're called to. Now, I'm not 
naive enough to think that we're going to build this huge building and every believer in the world is going to come together. But I think we got a long way we can go before we even get there. And so we see this call to build together, to be built together. I started thinking about the Legos and I want to show you a few pictures here. They're incredible. I would call these Lego masterpieces. Look at this, this battleship, this guy built. He got a lot of time, I would say. But that's incredible. Look at the detail of that, built together. Look at this next one, the Titanic. Is that insane? How many of you would lose your mind before you ever got to that? I would absolutely go crazy. This kid right here, actually, as I read about this a little bit, he, had, he has autism. And he put that together, built that from Legos. Pretty incredible. This one I thought was kind of interesting and neat. This is a model of the, the, the second temple um, that was built, that, built by the Jewish people. And so um, it's kind of a model, but it's so detailed, so um, put together. In many ways, you can't even tell it's Legos, the way it's put together. But um, incredible. What I would consider even to be like, that's a work of art to me. I mean, if you can do that, that's pretty amazing. Um, and so I started thinking about that and getting this picture of all of these living stones being built together to, to be this masterpiece that God has built by his grace and through the power of his Holy Spirit that people step back and go, wow, I don't know how they did that. The only way they could have done that is God. But think about this, y'all. Um, again, I, I have children. Um, most, they're, they're growing up pretty quick now. But I went and found some of their Legos and I'm like, well, should I try to build something? I'm like, nah, probably not. Man, so I started thinking about this and, and if I go though and I just take these Legos and I just do this, what do we call that? A mess. We call that a bruise on the bottom of your foot at one in the morning, right? When you step on that thing and you lose your religion and then you have to repent for the words you said and the things you thought about your children for leaving that Lego on the floor. But we call that a mess. And, and listen, I don't, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to just, but I want us to see the truth of where we are because if we don't embrace sometimes harsh realities, we can't make things right. Which one of these do you think the world looks at or looks at the church and sees? Do we see a masterpiece or do we see a mess? Are we all together and working for one God and one kingdom with one accord? Or are we scattered and broken? It doesn't have to be like this. Jesus has given us everything we need to be the masterpiece that God created us to be. He has given us his spirit. He has given us peace with God, but not only so we can have peace with God, but so that we can have peace with each other. Be one body, one mind, one spirit. This is possible. It, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it is possible. 
I'll say this, I believe that part of the new wine and part of what we have to embrace and part of what I think the times we're in are about is saying goodbye to a lot of what we've known as far as church. I even have a feeling, and I, I could be wrong in this, and if I am, it's fine. I, I kind of have the feeling that the days of the huge mega church being the effective means of God reaching people, I, I kind of feel like that's kind of gone. I feel like that wave, that season kind of came in and it's kind of playing out. I, I think about when we had all five campuses and we were all one, one body together as far as like in one organization um, of the church, we had all the, the five campuses and numbers wise, there were 2,500, 3,000 people that were going to Connection Church. And I think about that and I'm like, I, I just don't know that we'll ever see those kind of things again. I don't know that that's God's desire. I don't know that that's God's design. I think God uses it for sure. But I believe God is in a new season, God's, God's moving us more towards what he desires for us. He's moving us more towards his design so that the function happens, that the function can take place, not according to our design, but according to his design. And again, I wish we had time to be able to go back through John chapter 14, 15, 16, leading up to chapter 17, to be able to see all of the things that Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit is gonna do to enable us to be the people, the body that he's called us to be. Um, but but I, don't, I don't have time to go through all of that. But what I do want to do is I wanna leave you with what I would consider two, two applications, broad applications, but two applications of what I'm talking about. And one of these applications has to be y'all, we have got to get together with people who aren't like us to worship, pray, and encourage one another. This is something, that, that's how you overcome it, right? You get together with people that aren't like you and you realize we have a lot more in common than we have that's different and you begin to, to share the love of God you have with them and, and things begin to happen. As we've been gathering on Friday nights um, about every couple of weeks to, to pray and worship with fellowships of believers that are, aren't, aren't like us, aren't, they're, they're, it's different, it's different. But it's been incredible because I've been able to experience the love of God in so many unique ways. I even thought about last night as we were praying and singing and different people would come up and pray and different people would, would sing. I thought about how cool it was just in that little gathering of maybe, I'm guessing maybe 60, 70 people, how cool it was in that little gathering that if you were sitting in Beacon Place, which I apologize if you live over there um, for last night, because it was probably pretty loud, but I, I was thinking like, if you're over there, you're sitting outside or maybe inside and you're listening, you would have heard white voices, black voices. You would have even heard voices from Zimbabwe. You heard voices from Ghana. You heard all these different voices with all of these different backgrounds, singing and praying and worshiping God, declaring the praises of God. And I thought about it and I'm like, that's incredible. That's what it should be. 
believe that that blesses God. Believe that's in line with his design. But we're, we're, we're going to have to make an intentional effort to get together with people who aren't in our fellowship, who aren't in, in, you know, like us, who maybe don't live in the same neighborhood, who maybe have a cultural background that's very different. And we've got to begin to get together and pray and worship and begin to call on God to tear down the strongholds, these inaccurate ways of thinking that have existed for far too long in the church so that we can become one body that God really uses to function according to the way he designed us to function. And so that the world can take notice that God is here among us. It makes me think about the book of Acts where it talks a couple of times about the believers were all of one accord. But then it says in one section, it says this, it says, nobody dared join them, but the Lord added to their number daily. And I think about this, I'm like, man, there was something so unique about this body that people were kind of like, hold on now. I don't know. But somehow God, through the power of his spirit, is moving and adding to their number daily. If we will begin to gather and worship and be intentional to step outside of the walls of the church and not think that the worship of the church happens inside our walls and we begin to unite with people of other um, backgrounds and we begin to worship together, I believe we will see that God will still do what he's always done and that's to use our unity and our love for each other to point people to Christ. So one of the things we've got to do as a church, as people, as the church, we've got to be intentional in not just praying for the walls to be pulled down. Yes, pray first, but then we need to be intentional to take steps of faith to pull down these walls that separate. And we're going to do that. The second one is, and I've, I've talked about this throughout this, this whole message, We've got to come to a place of pressing into the spirit of God. We've got to come to a place where we realize that there are um, ways of thinking that we have hold, held on to in many ways, probably have been passed down through generations. Um, there are things, whether we are uh, white, brown, black, whatever we are, there are ways of thinking that, that we have um, in our mind that have come from different experiences and different things that we're going to have to submit to God, that the Holy Spirit is going to have to reveal to us. One of the things that Jesus tells us the Spirit does is he leads us into all truth. He tells us that the, the Spirit convicts us of sin. When he says that in John 16, it literally means to expose our sin and lead us to repentance. He says it'll convict us of righteousness. If you look up the Greek um, word for righteousness, it means to be as one ought to be. And so he's going to convict or expose us our, to our, to um, expose our sin so that we will turn back to God. And so that we will be as we ought to be. He says he will convict of judgment. In other words, when they were putting Jesus on the cross, they thought that Jesus was being judged, but who was really being judged was Satan, the prince of this world, the prince of the air. And what we need to see is that because of that, Jesus has given us the ability to overcome the world. And when we look at this, it's important for us to know, like, look, that, that 
that God, the Holy Spirit, will lead us into truth. He will open our eyes to inaccurate ways of thinking and living and being. He will open our eyes um, to places that we are, in ways that we are not as we ought to be. And he will show us that he's given us the ability to rise above those things, that his word and the Holy Spirit have the ability to pull down inaccurate ways of thinking. The word has the ability to transform our mind, to change the way we think, to change our worldview, to get us in line with God and that these things can happen. So the second thing we got, we got to press into God. We've got to cry out to God. We've got to desire it. God, give us even a greater desire. Give us a greater desire for your kingdom to come. We need to pray for a stubborn resolve. God, I don't care what it costs. We're going to keep pushing on and pressing on until we see your kingdom come, until we see things beginning to move and shift and shake and happen. We're going to have this stubborn resolve that we're willing to do whatever it takes to see your kingdom come. We are in an incredible time as a church. You're in an incredible time as the church to step forward, to, to break the silence of the church and to let the world see Jesus. I, I want us to spend time now as we begin to close out Last week, we talked and we spent some time just asking God to search our hearts. As I said at the beginning, the Spirit of God is here. God is here. Jesus promised that he would convict of sin. He would expose our sin and lead us to repentance or turning back to God. Jesus promised that he would convict of righteousness. He would show us as who we ought to be or show us as we should be. Jesus promised he would reveal the judgment that's happened. Jesus, having triumphed over the enemy. I want us to spend some time just in the next few moments letting God speak to our hearts and expose. Do, listen, do we desire to be the church that God wants us to be enough that we are willing to take the risk and do we have the, the courage to take the risk of asking God to expose our hearts? to lead us to repentance, to show us who we ought to be and allow him to transform us, the renewing of our mind, to be more like him. If you're willing to take that, so let's take a minute and let's just let God begin to speak to our hearts and reveal. For some of you, you, know, you can come up here and pray. Maybe there's something you need to leave here today. Maybe there's a way of thinking that God's exposing to you that needs to die. It needs to die. You can come down here and pray. Somebody will come and pray with you. We'd love for that to take place. But even right there in your seat, what needs to die? What way of thinking, what inaccurate way of thinking needs to die? What is God exposing in your heart today, in your thinking today that, that is a hindrance to relationships? For some of you may have some bitterness and some unforgiveness that you need to let go of. For others, it might be a, a generational way of thinking that hinders. And God's exposing it. He's putting his finger on it and saying, that's not in line with my heart and my will. Let's take a minute and let God deal with us.
as a loving father putting his finger on things that he desires to remove.